For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All right, it's a very special post-Super Bowl edition of the Coaching Chatter podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcasting network for professionals. Joining me, as always, is Craig Ladd and from the Denny's, Kurt Page, but we also have a very special guest. Uh, up until Sunday night, uh, the only quarterback to win a Super Bowl for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, he now joins illustrious company in Tom Brady. That is Brad Johnson. Brad, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Appreciate you guys having me on your show. Thank you. Absolutely. We're glad to have you and uh, got lots to talk about, lots to dive into, uh, but I uh, want to welcome you guys uh, to the Coaching Chatter podcast. So, uh, Sunday night, uh, Super Bowl 55, what, Brad, what were your initial thoughts on that? Were you, uh, I'm assuming you're rooting for the Bucks, right? Yeah, no doubt. Last time, last time the Tampa Bay Bucks won a playoff game was when we won the Super Bowl back in 2003, January. So, uh, they went to the playoffs in 2007 and then haven't really come close since. So Tampa, unfortunately, it, it has won two Super Bowls, but, it's also been one of the most losing organizations in football as far as the records go. So, but they've been building and they've been building. And a couple of years ago, they brought in Bruce Arians and they brought in a couple of great coordinators and Todd Bowles. I was with him in Dallas one year and, and he, he's a former head coach and Byron left, which was the coordinator. And, and then they made the move this off season with Tom Brady. And um, I mean, obviously the most <laughs> seven rings now, it's pretty incredible. In Super Bowls, 14, uh, 14 AFC or NFC championship games. So, and uh, but then they made some huge moves in the in free agency also. So it's uh, it's awesome to see what they did and were able to accomplish this year. Absolutely. Well, uh, we're brought to you by Soar Athletic Training and also the hometown realty of six one five Keller Williams and Kenny Salas. He'll get you. Uh, he'll get you caught up, Brad. Uh, when you were watching the game. Uh, did it bring back any memories from Super Bowl Thirty Seven? What you know, what were what was going through your mind as you were watching Tom Brady uh, accomplish this feat? It's kind of crazy. The teams were very very similar. Um, it was weird, you know, with Tom being in his first year in Tampa, he had to learn a new system, new coaches, had to find a place to live, uh, how to drive to the facility, uh, put your kids into a school. Uh, those were some issues they had to work on off season, and then not alone. Learn a playbook um, on Zoom meetings, uh, missing OTAs, uh, those kind of things. So he had to go through a big adjustment. Uh, the defense, they, they, the defense was awesome this year for Tampa. They, they, they created a bunch of turnovers offensively. They scored 135 points off the turnovers in the playoffs. I think they scored um, either 42 or 49 points off of turnovers wow. in the playoffs. They went on the road in Washington and then beat Drew Brees, the Saints, 
went up at Lambeau with um, Aaron Rodgers and then beat Mahomes. So those are three quarterbacks or MVP quarterbacks that have won Super Bowl. So our year was similar in a sense where John Gruden came in and we had to learn a new system. Uh, he brought in a bunch of free agents. They had a great defense. We scored a bunch of points off turnovers, and we got hot. We were 3-1 and one every four games, but honestly, we got hot about halfway through the season. This year, Tampa, they were 7-5 and five after 12 games, and they got hot at the right time and played the best football in the playoffs. That's very similar to what we did, too. No doubt. No doubt. What was it like playing for Coach Gruden? Love playing for, 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 for John Gruden. I remember I was, I was fortunate enough in my, in my career that when I was drafted by Minnesota, I was in one system for seven years. So if you take a guy like Baker Mayfield, he's in his fourth year, he's in his third year, third different head coach and third different system. A guy like uh, Mark Sanchez, his first seven years, he was in six different systems. So for me, that, that's hard to do. For me, I was in one system in Minnesota for seven years. I went to Washington. I played under North Turner for two years. And I came to Tampa. So to, to be with John Gruden, to learn his play calls, uh, I remember the first time I met with him in his meeting, he said, Brad, we're going to win the Super Bowl. And, and how's our defense going to stop? Blast off the joker right, X short, 22 extra halfback burst. How are they going to stop triple right F right 358 in Nebraska X scene? So basically, there's a lot of words, a lot of a lot of names and numbers and tags and codes to kind of give each position what the play is. And it took a while for us to learn, but I love playing for John Gruden. Uh, he teaches you both, you know, great football on both sides of football. What's a good play? What's a bad play? And he got the most out of our team, and, and then brought in a bunch of free agents also. Just, uh, just love the play call in there. I remember we talked about that down in Athens, Georgia, when I was with you, Brad. Uh, expand on just uh, your experience with the Buccaneers and uh, some of those coaches that were there. You know, you talked about Gruden, but you also had some other fantastic coaches that you that were working with you guys as well. Talk about those. This is coaching chatter, and we yeah. want to talk about all the coaches, man. Yeah, no doubt. The first year when I when I came in free agency from Washington, uh, Tony Dungy was the head coach. I'd been with him for three years. In Minnesota, uh, obviously now he's he's Hall of Fame coach. All, he runs All Pro Dads, um, one of the most respected coaches and men in the, in America in the world, kind no of thing. Doubt. So it was awesome for him. And then my QB coach was Jim Caldwell, um, and we had a little eight by eight little room, senior block room, and and later he became the uh, the Colts head coach and won a Super Bowl there. And then uh, Clyde Christensen was our um, was our uh, QB coach, and he became. Uh, coordinator, and then he won the Super Bowl. Yeah, he got to coach uh, Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck. And then I actually think that was one of the greatest things this year with uh, bringing a veteran like Tom Brady. He was able to make that chemistry and make the system and, and everything work. And then coaches I had, um, my QB coach was Stan Parrish, who had been a QB coach. I actually coached Tom Brady actually up in Michigan. Uh, we had a great offensive line coach from Bill Muir. Uh, and we had some defensive coaches too. Uh, Mike Tomlin was just an assistant, and later on he, he's won two Super Bowls now with uh, with Pittsburgh. And uh, we had Monty Kiffin, who's going to get ready to go in the Ring of Honor, uh, defense coordinator. Uh, uh, Rod Marinelli became a head coach. So I think great teams, they have great players, but they also have great coaches. So those position coaches, those quality control guys, they become position coaches or coordinators and the coaches they become coordinators or become head coaches you have to have that kind of talent and resources as coaches to have great teams as it moves on 
Brad, talk about how much the, I guess, the game has changed offensively since you were playing in the NFL. You know, you, you watch games now, and there's just pass after pass after pass after pass before they run the ball. Uh, and that's so different than when you played in the NFL. And it's really just, I guess, the running backs are just not as much of a necessity in today's game. Uh, the game is always changing. It's always changing. And I think the, the one thing I always learn, the more you can do as a player, the more opportunities you'll have as a player. Being able to play multiple positions, being able to do multiple things. And when we first came into the league, for me back in the 90s, I remember just the base play, we would just call a pass play, and we're going to run a pass play. We're going to call a run, and we're just going to run it. Whatever the coach calls and he thought was the right idea, that's where we're going to run. If there's a pass play, basically it's almost, almost one side of the field and not a full-field read. And then we got into doing calling two plays in the huddle at one time. I ride, act four, 585, kill, 40 ISO. So if it's cover three, we'd run the, the pass. If it's cover two, we'd run the run. And then we got into kills and check with me. So we'd use a dummy count, yell to eight, yell to eight, and try to see if the defense would give us a cover three or cover two or quarters or, and then be able to go to our kill. And then the greatness was if you could pull a play out of your back pocket and have an audible. But then what happened, you started making audibles. The defense, the defense started making audibles. And then we started doing fake audibles on offense to see if they would change. And then you get into this guessing game. And then you get in this thing of RPO world. And is it, a, is it a run and a pass built into the same play at the same time? So now you're getting a full menu. You're not just, you know, you're not just going to Outback Steakhouse and just ordering, you know, just the filet mignon. You can order it all. And then you can get appetizers and the desserts. And then you have all these plays. And, and, and the greatness of it, too, you also have the headsets that are taking place. It's not just signals that are coming from the sidelines. So there's great communication. Quarterback cannot talk back to the coach. The coach can talk to the player up to a certain amount of time. But the game has evolved. You're having guys that can play multiple positions, using shifts and motions and different formations and personnel groupings. So it is uh, it's just a great game, and you better keep learning, and you better keep um, – improving your game and coaches coaches are sharpening their irons too now so it's taking coaches are getting better at it and players are getting better at it too and you're seeing it from a youth from middle school to high school to college and now pros where they're kind of, kind of combining everything so it's a great question but the evolution of the game is definitely changing but it always comes back to blocking tackling and take care of that ball too Great, great answers, Brad. Talk about when they put the green dot, when they put – you talk about communication with the quarterback. Talk about when that came into the league because you were there right in the middle of all that. Talk about that, Brad, please. Yeah, originally we were, the crowd noise was so loud. that I remember we, we actually – they built these things where there were speakers on the side of the field, and they would try to – it was like a microphone, and the microphones would get to the speakers on the sides. And then they said, that, that's not working. So then they put these headsets – and you have, you have microphones where you can hear the coach talk. So basically the green dot that Coach Page is talking about is only one player on the field can have a green dot on his helmet. So you can't have two quarterbacks on the field at one time. On defense, you can only have – usually it goes to a linebacker because he's the one making the call. So you can't have two, of the, two linebackers hearing the calls. So if two of those guys that have green dots, only they have to change helmets. Only one guy has a green dot. But, but basically – when the play is over, the play clock begins, and so the coach can talk to you and give you whatever information you need in the huddle. And then when you break the huddle, 
up to, I don't know, if there's a certain time or almost when you get to the line of scrimmage, that's when someone up top cuts the, the microphone off and you cannot hear. But originally, just so you know, how equipment's gotten better is usually – when it first began, if you're on the other team, the other team was talking, you could hit a button and, and mess up their communication. <laughs> so now they have communication wow. just for your team and just communication for your team. So you can only imagine what certain teams are doing those kind of things, but it's gotten a lot better over the years, no doubt. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so on that same token, uh, you know, with signals, you have to be a little bit simpler in your communication than your play calls, but with the, with the microphone that a lot of coaches and, and you played, uh, you played in Washington, Minnesota, and uh, and Tampa, and, and of course also Dallas too. Was Sean Payton there in Dallas? Uh, and then did that influence them to give longer play calls in, w- with the headset? Well, with the basically kind of going back to originally, like talking about all the plays, when you just give a formation or a play, the signals would be double right, check with me, and they could see it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so then you had somebody trying to hide it. Well, then you get into plays over the headphones. You can call a play. You could give them a lot more information, a lot more plays you can run. It'd be green right. It'd be U shift to green left west, F short, spire to U banana, Z overhead, Z for 358 smoke. That's a lot of signals to be given. And then they'd be able to give you the audibles and then clues, hey, you might have an audible. You might want to check to H2 Miami or 358 smoke or 58 dolphin. That's quick information you can give to the player. And it, but it's interesting too. Some players, some quarterbacks, like, listen, just give me the play. I don't need you to give me too much information because you can get you, you can give almost too much information at times. So the greatness is being great in those meetings and walkthroughs in practice where on game day you don't have to rely so much on what, what the coach is actually trying to tell you because they can almost tell you too much sometimes. Man, I can't imagine trying to repeat all that stuff. Uh, it seems like you've uh, you've had a little bit of practice at it. So, uh, yeah, that's that's crazy. Just how it's kind of evolved, and and how is that? Uh, not your coach now at Oconee. How has that kind of shaped your path uh, as a coach as far as play calling and things like that? I know in high school you can't have uh, the headsets, but has that kind of shaped your your the way you call plays, the way you communicate? Kind of spoils you. I, I remember the first time. A uh, good buddy of mine, Casey Weldon, he played with me at Florida State and played eight years in the pros. And when we were together in Washington, he was the signal guy. And then he became the headphone guy for me. So he actually became a head coach at North Florida Christian down in Tallahassee. And he played for two state championships. But the first time he was in spring spring practice, he had the headphones on and he was calling the play to his quarterback. And he'd say, Jack right, quick ace right, 239 F flat. And the quarterback was like, what are you saying? And he said, Jack right, quick ace right, 239 F flat. And so basically the equipment manager told him, he said, coach, they don't have headphones in there for you. They don't know. They can't hear you. So he had to go back to signals. And I've, I've been coaching high school football for now. So you get into signals and you get a lot of things on the wristbands too. So that's an interesting deal and dealing with the playcock and just, you can't quite do as much as you want to because of the communication, but you can still get a lot done, but it's, it takes a little bit more work, especially with the wristbands. Brad, uh, I want to get into your days at, at Florida State. You you played for an absolute legend in Bobby Bowden. What made him so special and so successful during his coaching career? He was an incredible evaluator of talent. He out-recruited everyone. Uh, coaches, assistants that actually became head coaches later on, uh, Mark Rick, 
Chuck Amato, the great coordinator, Mickey Andrews, and a lot of guys, they were great in developing players that had great talent. But he was, he was, it was a first-class school. He wasn't a place where he's worried about getting fired. Uh, I remember, and he was at a school at Florida State. It was really a girls' school when he took over in the 70s, and, and he played anybody and everybody. He was great to the whole school and uh, gave money, which the money football department didn't have money, and he gave it to the volleyball team and the girls' women's basketball program and men's baseball team and kind of put Florida State on the map. First-class individual. I remember when he recruited me, he was, I think he had 175 wins. And I was sitting with him in my in my in my house and asked him how much longer he was going to coach. I think he was probably 63, 64 at that time. I remember when he won his 200th game, he called a he called a team meeting, and he was going to. Um, I told my roommate, his name was Gene Howe. I said, Gene, I think he's getting ready to to retire. And instead, what he did was he gave his testimony, and it was incredible. He impacted the players, the coaches. He wanted you to be a better human being and one day become a man and, and a great father to your kids. And he went on to win 365, 300, I don't know how many games. And he wasn't – obviously he wanted to win national championships and he won two. He lost three or four, I don't even know. But his deal was to build men and build, and that would build great teams. And he's a great collector of talent and evaluator also. So I'm, just, I'm thankful for that opportunity and to say he was my coach is pretty awesome. And you mentioned uh, you mentioned Mark Richt and, and and a number of assistants that he had that went on to be successful. Now your brother and all, actually, what was it like as him as your offensive coordinator? How did he develop over the over the time that uh, that you two were there together, and then obviously uh, up until he left for the uh, University of Georgia? Yeah, let me say something real quick on Coach Bowden too. We were um, he'd been retired for a few years, and it was like two thousand and. I'm making up a year, 2012. I, I'm not even sure now, but but they 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 named the field Bobby Bowden Field, mm-hmm. and so that day we had over 450 players come back, wow. and um, we were we were lined up from the from the from the goalposts all the way out to midfield, and and we were probably 10 rows back, and you, you talk about when he was coming out with his wife Ann. You know, you weren't talking about the 365 games that he won. You weren't talking about, you know, the national championships. You're talking about – we were all talking about how he impacted our lives, how many of us had become coaches or what we were doing and how Coach Bowden had, in, had uh, impacted our lives. And you talk about the mustard seed. That's what it done. And, and so then you handed it over to someone like Mark Rick, same way, impacted people and coaches and lives just besides – we're going to run some ISO play up the middle or throw some four vertical seams. You know what I mean? So I think having great character and uh, that was, that was a greatness of coach Bowden, but he, that, that torch was passed to to coach Mark Rick who coached, he's a head coach, I think, I think 15 years at Georgia and then three years at Miami. He won 10 games almost every season of his uh, career, head coaching career. So I think you'd say very similar, very similar people in a sense, and they did two different areas also. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I, I, I like I told you uh, pre-show, I worked for him uh, when I was a student, and I, you know, I saw kind of firsthand at just how the operation worked, not only with the coaching staff but with the players as well. And he poured into them uh, in every way possible. I mean, even starting the the Paul Oliver Foundation after uh, you know after that happened with uh, with Paul Oliver and him committing suicide. And the one thing that stands out to me about Coach Rick 
is that I'd been gone probably four years, maybe, um, maybe more than that, five, six years. And when I started on at Rivals.com and, and I had moved up to Nashville, uh, one of my colleagues was actually doing an interview with them. And, and I jumped on, uh, you know, after the interview and said, hey, you know, Coach Rick, I don't know if you remember me, but, you know, and, and he did. He has an impeccable memory. And, and I, I was blown away by that because, you know, I was like, I was a student, like on the very bottom rung of the ladder uh, in, in recruiting. And he knew exactly who I was, asked me how I was doing, how my family was and all that stuff. So um, it, it was just very impactful for me. So, uh, Kurt, what, what, what's up, man? What, what do you got? Well, I just just like to say to Brad, just uh, speaking of coaches and what's going on now in Oconee County, and y'all have had a, just an outstanding run of three straight championship appearances, and I know y'all want to bring home the GOAT football. Talk a little bit about the staff there at Oconee County and, and the development that Jake has had um, there as a player uh, going into his senior year, and also – just about Max, and let's, let's concentrate on Jake right now and talk about his development of Oconee County and, and the staff that y'all surrounded him with. Yeah, our head coach is uh, Travis Nolan. He came from – I actually knew him. Um, we used to work out together when I was up in high school, up in, in Black Mountain, North Carolina. I was at Owen High School, and he was at Pisgah High School. And he later became a head coach at Irwin and Tuscola, and then in Georgia he was at Stevens County. Then – he made a move to uh, to Coney County here in Athens, Georgia. His oldest son is uh, Zeb Nolan. First went to Iowa State, but now this year he'll be the he'll be the starting quarterback at North Dakota State. Always a national championship uh, potential winner, and uh, yeah, another son that played for him and went to Western Carolina. He has another younger son that's going to South Dakota State, I believe. And uh, but so I was fortunate enough. Our kids, Max and Jake. Max is my oldest son. He's now a quarterback, a freshman at LSU. Got to start his last two games against uh, Florida and uh, Ole Miss, and then and uh, and then my younger son is a junior right now, Jake Johnson. Uh, he's trying to figure out what school he's going to go to decide to here in the next, um, hopefully, next few months. We're trying to figure that out. But um, you know, Travis has done a great job with just developing a high school. We're a school we don't we don't recruit. Uh, we don't have a lot of move in kids. And uh, he just – we developed kids. And uh, so it's pretty neat to do it. It's almost old-fashioned football. And uh, he's very organized. He had, we have some great assistant coaches that have been there the last two years. I think we've had 15 guys make the uh, – 15 guys last five years that have made all-state honors. And then uh, the last two years, if you look at the Oconee County over the last 10 years or so, it's really pretty much a team that's 500 or below. And this, this past two years – went to the state championship game, which is we unfortunately lost, but it's pretty awesome that it happened at a public school, a non-recruiting school kind of thing, and uh, just cares about kids and pours into the kid. And, and uh, so it's kind of a neat opportunity for me to be a, a QB coach. Brad, you have the unique situation of uh, being recruited when you were coming out of high school and going to FSU, a, a top program, and you had Max go through it. Now your son Jake's going through it. Let's talk about the difference between when you were recruited and how it is now. For me, I couldn't – I mean, honestly, real quick, I, I couldn't decide if I was going to play football or basketball. And I ended up choosing football. But at the time, you didn't have these rankings, these rivals and 247s. And then you did, and we didn't have the internet and we didn't have information and, and you didn't, you didn't have the rosters of teams. <laughs> and if a, if a coach, if he reached out to you, you, he'd have to write you a handwritten letter. 
And if you want to get your tape to him, you'd have to make a, a VHS tape and send it off. And hopefully you might get it back. You know, <laughs> no, now you've got these things with huddle and everything's instantaneous and parents can make huddle highlights and kids can, and, and things go worldwide really quick. And so when you're choosing a school, you know where you kind of stand, you know, who's on the roster, how many positions are at your, at your particular position, how many players are at your particular position. So, and then you have coaches now that they kind of know who these players are, even as eighth and ninth graders and specialized camps. So it used to be, you just go to camp, just a five day camp. Just let me work hard and let me get better. And let's jump in the pool at, at five o'clock. Now you come in for a specialized, maybe a two hour, uh, we're going to evaluate you and you might get an offer afterwards. You might leave. I mean, it's, it's really different now. It's very, kids have to be focused, but you don't want to be seen before you're ready to. And kids develop over time. So now it's, you have the national scene, you have national all-star games. Um, and not that a five-star is better than a two-star because kids get developed a lot different too, but, but it's pretty neat to, it's, it's, it's harder as a quarterback because you're looking for schools, a system, um, a particular coach. And I remember in Max's situation, we got it down to about eight or nine schools. And we look back when it's time for him to sign, seven of those coaches were either fired or, or, or resigned or weren't a part of the program. So you'll be careful as far as committing too early too. But the process is different for a quarterback than it is any other position. No doubt. What stood out uh, to you about Coach Coach O? I mean, I know you just said that seven of the the eight coaches on your on your top eight list were fired or resigned. But you know, Coach O at LSU and the and the program uh, that he's built there. Uh, what stood out to you about that? Max had a lot of different opportunities, and he honestly, he wanted to blaze his own trail. I uh, did not love Jimbo Fisher was at Florida State, but he didn't want to go into my someplace under my shadow where I'd been and to play for coach Rick at Miami and his cousin, John was the QB coach. Like, I don't know if the family situation would have been a great situation, you know, just looking back at it. And, right. and then he, you know, then you go to Georgia. Well, it's like going to another high school here for him. It's just, he wanted to go to a different location. And we looked at some other schools and there's just a lot more involved because of our family situation than people would understand. But at the end of the day, Max wanted to be, be a place where he could be developed, a place where obviously he'd get an education, a degree, but play with dudes that could play on the highest level in the SEC. When you see it in the draft every year, you know, the highest – the draft is coming through the SEC more than any other – more than any other league and, and have a chance to play for a national championship one day. So he has big, big goals there, but he just felt comfortable being at LSU and uh, playing for Coach O and – and obviously, they, they won the national championship two years ago. This past year was a weird year, but I think great things are to come for them. No doubt. And uh, that, you know, what what from that process now uh, with Max going through, now are you going to apply to Jake's process and in, in, in evaluating places? Did, did anything change in your evaluation process as far as evaluating schools? It was really neat for Jake. Uh, Jake is he's getting closer, but he's not ready to decide yet. And uh, just when he feels like it's ready, I think Jake, Jake made it. He, he told coaches, don't, don't coach me. Don't, don't recruit me because of my brother. <laughs> if I'm not good enough for you, then don't recruit me. And we're not a tag team here. And, and, you know, th- is there a chance that he could go to LSU with his brother? Yes, there is. 
that's obvious. That's kind of the elephant in the room. But he's also a kid that's had these great conversations with as many head coaches as you can imagine. And he, he handles the phone calls on it by himself. He makes a decision by himself. We try to help him along with the uh, process, but that's something internalized. He'll have to make that decision for himself, what fits best for him, who's he want to play for, and it'll be interesting to see how it decides. So I'm, I'm just as curious as many other people, so we'll, we'll see here soon. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a it's a it's a long process. It's a um, a thorough process. So we 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 hope that you know, no matter where he picks, he's he's going to pick the right one. And and I'm sure he's getting some pressure from his brother, Max, to come on down, especially since Eric Gilbert decided to head on to Florida. Right, no doubt. I mean, there are a lot of decisions to make, and you know, I, I remember for me when I went to Florida State, just to take it out of that a little bit, was I I, I asked myself when I went to Florida State. Is it a first-class place? Is it a chance they can win a national championship? Could I get a degree? And if I never played, if I never played, if I got hurt or something, would I be happy there? And would I respect the coaches and and be in a great place where I could say this might be my home? And so for me, actually, it kind of happened to me. I didn't play very much at Florida State. only played five or six games. and But I love playing for the coaches that I did. I married the – the sister of Mark Rick, <laughs> who benched me at Florida State, and I have a great relationship <laughs> with him. So it's funny how that works out. But, and I think every kid has to say to himself, is this a place where I want to be? Where do I want to be? Not just about can I win a ball game? Can I get developed as a person, a man? Can I get my degree? And uh, would I be happy here? If things work out great, and if things don't work out, can I be able to deal with it also? So those are some decisions kids have to make now. Brad, I, th- I think you you answered that question. Talk about Mark Rick and the benching, and, and then dating his sister and marrying his sister with Nikki. Uh, talk about just uh, you know, because I had many people they knew our relationship uh, with Max and my relationship with Max and my relationship with you and your support of, of when I was there in Athens at Monsignor Donovan Catholic High School for two years, and then the throwing throwing league that we had on Tuesdays and Thursdays, open field. But just talk about the. You know, staying consistent and staying strong with your son in a high-profile position, SEC, and knowing he's going to get his turn, and he got his turn, and he excelled just outstandingly. Uh, uh, you know, defeating the Gators at the Gators. I know that'd be sweet for you, being a Florida State guy, uh, to beat the Gators. So just talk about your, you know, just having the, you know, backing him up as a dad, and uh, just developing. And you know, that was a part of the development. It's letting the other guys get a turn, and knowing your turn is upcoming and I, and I appreciate the answer here yeah it, it's it's a uh, it's a complicated answer to be honest with you and at the end of the day you got to be a dad you know I think about all the I gotta teach my son how to drive a car <laughs> you know you talk about the importance of going to class how to wash the dishes how to how to turn on the washer and dryer make up your bed I mean, there's, there's, there's all the little things of just, you know, what it's like to be a dad. And then, and then you get into the coaching part of it, and then you're trying to teach them you know, three-step, five-step, and then you're trying to teach them how to become – how to throw the ball and how to be accurate and how to be quick with your feet. Then you're trying to teach them how to call a play in the huddle. And, and at the end of the day, you know, you want your, you want your son to grow up to be, become a man and live out his dreams – not just the dad's dreams. And uh, so those are – Max has made 
you know, those are choices for himself. And like I said earlier, he wanted to go to school. He wanted to blaze his own path. He didn't want to follow me at Florida State or, or anything or any other other one's expectations except for himself. So he sets his own goals, and we try to help him along the way. And and I know sitting as and, and sitting in the stands now, you know, he can't hear me when I yell, <laughs> look out. <laughs> you know I mean, he can't. And you try to teach him every lesson along the way, and eventually you have to put him out there. And I think the greatness – I think the greatness of parents um, and any advice I would give to them is that let your let your let your let your let your kid fail. Let him fail when he's young. Let him deal with adversity. I mean, adversity is a big deal, and a lot of kids can't cope. And um, you know how to handle things. You, you have a bad grade, then son, you go talk to the teacher. You know, if you have a problem with the coach, you go talk to the coach, and be able to deal in life. Because adversity is coming no matter how, how young you are, how old you are, no matter how successful you are. It, adversity is always knocking on the door. So I think those are the goals and things you try to teach your kid. And, and um, But it's been fun to watch Max grow up all these years and deal with different things. And hopefully he's making up his bed today. <laughs> and then a great meeting also. And then just, just be, be consistent and uh, enjoy what he's doing. Brad, looking at your career at Florida State, um, you had less than 250 pass attempts your entire career. Um, nowadays, if, if that happens, uh, the, the quarterback is in the transfer portal and going somewhere else. Talk about you deciding to stick with Florida State and also the fact that, you know, the odds of you, one, making an NFL team with as little experience as you had in college and then and then ultimately winning a Super Bowl. Right. It, it's, it's a great question. And um, I, I remember when I was going through the recruiting process, when I felt like I was a late developer because I was a basketball player. I ended up playing two years of basketball at Florida State. We won the Metro. One year, I went to the NCAAs twice in the tournament. In the tournament, but I remember asking, "Hey, can I be redshirted?" You don't get kids now saying, "When can I get redshirted, coach?" You're like, "When am I playing? If I'm not playing after year one, I may I may transfer." I mean, and this transfer portal thing now it's worked for some, and it's an easy way out for some. And so I think you have to know what you're getting yourself into. And in the in the QB meeting room at Florida State. We had some great players. We got a guy, Danny McManus, who ended up won the Fiesta Bowl, threw for 52,000 yards in the Canadian League. Peter Tom Willis, he, he played four years in the NFL. Another quarterback, Chip Ferguson, who won the Sugar Bowl. I was competing with Casey Weldon, who played eight years in the NFL, who was a runner-up to the Heisman. Charlie Ward was in our room, who ended up winning the Heisman, a national championship, and played 11 years in the NBA. Chris Winkie, who won the Heisman won a national championship. And then we had another guy, uh, Kenny Felder, who was a first-round baseball pick. I mean, that's competitive. Every day was competitive. And you better produce. You better be ready. But when it's your time, I remember my dad told me, he said, son, it's better to be prepared and not have an opportunity than to have an opportunity and not be prepared. So, you know, you got to work. You got to compete. And things aren't always going to go your way. So. And that's why I was talking about the adversity that you have to deal with. And for me, I didn't play much in college, but my dream was still to, you know, I didn't transfer. I didn't quit. Um, I was a ninth-round draft choice by the Minnesota Vikings at 227th pick. 
my first three years, I didn't get a rep in practice. I was backing up Rich Gannon and Jim McMahon, and I got a little bit of training camp practice, but that was it. And eventually, when my time came, I was ready, and I was ready to take off in my career. I was fortunate enough to shoot and have a 17-year career. Yeah, and going back to your days at Tampa, uh, you know, one of the things that I guess made you turn the corner was going from Tony Dungy, who built an all-world defense, to now bringing it together with Coach Gruden. What was the what was the thing that really kind of just made it click that year, culture-wise? It, it takes it takes a lot of things. It takes great great talent. It takes great coaches. It takes staying healthy, and then you just win ball games and be lucky a little bit along the way. So, uh, Coach Dungy was awesome, and later on he he goes to the Colts and he wins his Super Bowl there. You know, with John Gruden, he came in. Obviously, we had a great defense, but he made a lot of moves in free agency, and then we just we kind of grew together, we gelled together, and then we played really good football along the way, and then got hot at the right time. So, I played on three or four great teams that we didn't succeed. We didn't win them. We could have won the Super Bowl, but we didn't do it. So either you sometimes at that level it's either pass or fail. Or the way you're, the way you judge, but because uh, you want to win it all. Some teams are developing, but for some teams you're trying to win it all. And you know, you, just like this year with Tampa, they made some moves in free agency. They've done great in the draft, but you have when you make the move with the money, you got to go win it. As far as the ownership and the GM making those moves, and that's what John Gruden did with us. I think we brought in um, we brought in Joe Jervicious, Keenan McCardell, uh, Michael Pittman, left guard was Kerry Jenkins, Logan Oman. Uh, two, two tight ends, Ken Dilger, Ricky Dudley. So those are some moves that you have to make and, and be bold sometimes. Right. And so with all of your experiences with the Vikings, the Redskins, uh, at Florida State, uh, and and uh, and with the Dallas Cowboys uh, backing up Tony Romo, all those experiences, how have they shaped your your coaching now uh, with with Oconee? Like what did, what parts of each place did have you brought into your overall philosophy? I think one being organized, uh, practice schedule, off-season programs, um, how you doing your weight program this year at Oconee County. We actually it's really hot in Georgia. It's, we actually go to six o'clock practices for the first six eight weeks of the season. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesdays we practice at six a.m. We have great practice, and then we have walkthroughs in the afternoon, and then we have, feel like we have forty eight hours to rest to be ready for Friday night. So. Those are some little things we've made conscious decisions to do and been successful with it. And I think as a coach, you want to develop not just your your starters, but you're always developing who's the next guard. Well, if the center goes down, who can play backup center? In high school, some guys, you have to play multiple positions. So you might have a guy playing uh, a safety, but they also might be your fourth wide receiver. And just you have, and then, oh, you got a JV program too. So <laughs> there's a lot that goes into it. And and then you got parents asking for more stuff, but and then be able to do it the parent side of it too. So a lot that goes into it. High school coaches, they don't make a lot of, enough money for it. But when you sign up to be a high school coach, you're into developing kids, impacting kids, and hopefully you can win a bunch of ball games. If you win a championship, that's great. But when it's over, you want those, you want the your your players to look back and say, you know what? He coached me whether I was a third-string guy or the all-state guy. He gave me an opportunity and coached me just the same as, as the other players. I talk about uh, talking about uh, coaching and that type of thing. Just 
y'all been through uh, as a family, uh, moving the whole family there to the Athens, Georgia, Watkinsville area, and then making decisions early on in, in uh, y'all's uh, son's careers, moving from uh, a, a private school into the public school setting. Talk about that decision and, and things that y'all had to evaluate and assess and look at as a, a total picture. It's hard. It's hard. Um, I mean, we're sitting there talking about college. You talk about free agency in the NFL, then you get into this college transfer portal thing. And then, you know, honestly, I heard Kirby Smart talk about it. You know, now as quarterbacks, you're making decisions sometimes in middle school. You know, where should I live? Where should I go to school? Um, you know, for, for Max, he was he wanted to be a uh, – he's a passing quarterback. And we were at a school that's a great, great school. And but we they were in the it wasn't the system for him. It was it was more of a running style, the wing T, which is a great great offense. And if I were head coach, I might run the wing T too because because everybody's going to spread. They don't know how to stop it sometimes. But for us, we wanted you know a chance for Max to be developed and and to you know face different kind of competition. And those are decisions you make. Sometimes they work out for kids. Sometimes they don't. And uh, but I think when you're committed, and at the end of the day, you you know I always I always tell people. You know, it's a do-it-yourself project. I guarantee you Tom Brady is not just counting on Bruce Arians every day <laughs> or the Tampa Bay weight program. It's something you have to do on your own in the offseason, the study time that you make. Um, so parents, sometimes you make, you have to make hard decisions. And uh, But at the end of the day, you just want to support your kids no matter what it is. Brad, in 2003, you, you win the NFL's quarterback challenge, and one of the quarterbacks that you defeated was a guy by the name of Brady, Tom Brady. T talk about, in, in your wildest dream, did you ever envision in 2003 that Tom Brady would win seven Super Bowls? The, the quarterback challenge that you're talking about, he had won the Super Bowl the year before. We had just won the Super Bowl. and that day, there were a bunch of NFL quarterbacks out there. And basically, it was, they, they've stopped it now. But basically, there's you throwing at targets, and then you you do a run like a an obstacle course. And there was the last last event, and I actually went out there the day before and I practiced it. And I knew where I, there were certain areas I could cut time. There were six different things I did in that event that no one else knew about. And I'd, I'd throw a ball, but instead of watching the guy catch, I'd throw it and I'd run to the next drill. And, and, and so I was able to cut time. I was able to win that event. And so I wanted, won some money that day. It was a great day. Want to watch all the above. <laughs> I, remember, I remember Tom Brady, he went last. And I beat him by just, I mean, it was like .005 seconds or something. So it worked out. But I remember him pitching. A, he was hotter than a wet hornet, man. So <laughs> I remember he was a great, great competitor. And I actually later I played for I, I played against him. I was in Minnesota. He's in New England. He came up there and he threaded us. He lit us up like a, a Christmas tree, man. And he was a great, great competitor, tough. Obviously, his career speaks for itself, and I'm I'm one of his biggest fans. And uh, just because I I don't really know him, but just being up close to him, I knew the competitor that he was. Whether it's playing dominoes or cards or whatever it may be, man. You know, and that's kind of who he is. That's what that's the stories you hear about. Man, I feel like uh, I feel like Byron Leftwich lived for that competition, uh, the quarterback competition at the Pro Bowl, and that was uh, that was incredible. And and those are those are a lot of fun to watch. And I I'll, I catch myself watching those when they replay them. 
Do you ever watch yourself and just be like, and just, yeah. and just pick it apart and, and, uh, and enjoy it? Yeah, those are fun times because you actually kind of get to meet the quarterbacks. You see them from afar, you play against them, but you don't really get to know them. And you usually, you were, we were together for two or three days. Your, your families are hanging out together. You're in the pool, hanging out. Then you, you know, each person, you know, you just kind of get to know the person besides just, you know, what it's like to kind of compete against them on, on Sundays. But those are neat relationships that everyone's built through time. Absolutely. And, and like I said, it, it's, that's important. Relationships are important. Brad, go ahead and talk. This we're going to be finishing up here shortly. I know, but uh, just a, just a recap on just your coaching. You know, guys that influences you've had great influencers, and uh, if you could just leave with a couple of uh, two or three things for for all coaches that are listening to to this chatter uh, and growing and developing, what would be the top two or three things that you would that you would like them to take away from this meeting? Yeah, I, I remember in high school, I, I told you earlier, I couldn't decide if I was going to play football or basketball. And and basketball was my love. And I remember in my senior year, I was gonna, I was, I, my goal was to play for Bobby Crimmins at, at Georgia Tech. At that time, that was the team. And I had a great relationship with him. But So my senior year, I was not going to play football. I missed the first three days of practice. And we had a new coach at our high school. We had some losing situations, some losing teams my freshman, sophomore, and junior years. I think we were like five and five. And I remember I had this new coach named Kenny Ford. Uh, he was like 24 years old at the time, his first head coaching job. And he said, Brad, I want, you need to come out. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Uh, come out. It'll be we're going to work hard. We're going to win. And you're going to have fun at it. And so I missed the first three days of practice. He taught me back into coming out and playing again. Uh, I had to do the penalty runs and all that kind of stuff when I came back. But I needed someone to believe in me, someone to encourage me, and someone to go outside the box. And, and so I think that was impactful for me. I had a great high school basketball coach too, Bill Burroughs, that just – we had a great basketball team. But when I look back to this day, I'm very thankful for Kenny Ford and Bill Burroughs, my high school coaches. Obviously I had great college coaches and great pro coaches, and some of them were going to the Hall of Fame. But – you know, I always still I, I call them to this day. They come see my kids play, and I always call them coach. And that's what you want the impact later down the road. And so I'm thankful for those guys one for talking me back into playing and for teaching me uh, to love the game and and just the winning attitude and effort that it takes at all levels. So I'm thankful for those those coaches. Absolutely. Well, Brad, that's going to do it for us here on the Coaching Chatter. I want to thank you for coming on, and uh, you are welcome to join us at any point, anytime you want. Just give us the word. We'll, we'll, we'd will we love to have you back on. Awesome. I appreciate you guys reaching out. Thank you very much. It's great to tell some stories. and I was, uh, If you ever get a chance, I'd love to be back on the show again. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, this has been another episode of the Coaching Chatter brought to you by Soar Athletic Training and the Keller Williams hometown team, uh, visit hometownteam615.com. Uh, visit Kenny Salas. He'll get you uh, squared away. Uh, Want to wish you guys uh, a, a great week, great weekend, and uh, we'll see you back next time here on the Coaching Chatter. For Kurt, Craig, and Brad Johnson, I'm Corey Burton. So long and see you later. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.